So I have a story for you. It was February 22nd, 1995, almost 22 years ago. Jen, my wife and I, were sitting in a hospital room at Butterworth Hospital celebrating the birth of our first child. Jen had just given birth to Jeffrey Scott. He was nine pounds, seven ounces, 21 inches long, and we were excited. We were celebrating. Now, Jen was very exhausted, but we were celebrating this birth of, of, of a child. It was an amazing day. And not only was I excited because we had this child that God had given to us, but I was excited because I was now ready to give Jen a gift. I was going to give her the gift. The gift that a husband gives to a wife when she delivers a baby. The gift that's going to recognize all that she's gone through and bringing this child into the world. The gift that is going to demonstrate to her how much I love her. Now, before I get to the gift, I need to explain to you that Jen had a very difficult pregnancy. It was a tough pregnancy, the works. She had high blood pressure. She had nausea. She had morning sickness. She went through it all, all through this difficult pregnancy. And not only was the pregnancy itself difficult, but the particular day of delivery was very difficult. It was a long delivery, and she got no epidural, no pain medication, and she had to push, push for four hours. Now, for those of you that don't know, that's a long time to push, especially without an epidural or any pain medication. So Jen had this difficult pregnancy, this particularly difficult day, and she is tired and she is worn out, but I am about to give her the gift. I am going to give her the gift that, that recognizes all that she's done to bring this child into the world and to show her how much I love her. So I reach around the back of the chair and I pull out this big box and I give her the box and it's full of a dozen roses. And as I'm giving it to her, it hits me. All of this, she's gone through all of this and here's this child and all I have for her is a dozen roses. Now, in my defense, it was a big box. <laughs> and they were big roses. They were actually special roses. They were called tiger roses. And they had, it had, a, I know, you, they had a picture of a tiger on the box. Now, in hindsight, it's not so smooth to give a picture of a tiger on a box of roses to your wife after she's gone through all of this. And in fact, generally doesn't even like roses. Now, now, to her credit, she didn't say anything. But when she opened up the box, the look on her face said it all. She didn't have to say anything. It was a look that said, you mean to tell me I've gone through all of this, this difficult pregnancy, this incredibly difficult day, and all you have to show you love me is a box of roses. Tiger roses, mind you, but roses. I will remember that look for the rest of my life. And I will tell you, I never want to see that look again. 
But I recognized that I did not properly and effectively demonstrate my love for my wife by giving her my best. You all know the feeling, don't you? You've been there. You've had a time in your life where you wanted to demonstrate your love for somebody by giving them your best. Maybe it's your best time, your best effort. Maybe it's a gift, but you've been there where you've wanted to demonstrate that love and you just fall short. You just don't give that person your best. Romans 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Here in Romans 12, we read that we are to offer our bodies, offer ourselves as living sacrifices, not to earn God's favor or fix our relationship with him, but to show God that we truly love him. We demonstrate our love for God by offering ourselves as living sacrifices. When we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, we demonstrate our love for God. We have said over the past few weeks that God's love language is sacrifice. And we've looked at some different passages to help us understand what this looks like, what this idea or concept of a living sacrifice looks like. Two weeks ago, we saw that being a living sacrifice, demonstrating our love for God, meant that we should be involved in a church, that it is a sacrifice to be involved in a church. Last week, we learned that sometimes God asks us to give something up, to sacrifice something to demonstrate our love for him. Today, we're going to look at another passage, another passage of scripture that is going to help us understand what it means to be a living sacrifice, what it means to truly demonstrate our love for God. And this passage will tell us that it means that we are to give God our very best. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1 is found on page 778 if you picked a Bible up on your way in. It is also the last book of the Old Testament. If you've gone to Matthew, if you've gone to the Gospel of Matthew, you've gone too far, jump back one book to Malachi. Throughout the Old Testament and on up and through Malachi, God expressed to his people, the way that he appreciated receiving love. And one of the ways that God appreciates receiving love, what he, ways he told his people, was through sacrifices. This is why we say that, one of the reasons we say that God's love language is sacrifice. And God told his people that he would appreciate sacrifices from them. And the sacrifices were, sometimes the people of God would periodically sacrifice an animal for the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes the people of God would sacrifice an animal in order to show their gratitude for God, but the instruction from God was always clear, that you were to go into your herds, you were to go into your flocks, and you were to find the best animal. You were to find an animal that wasn't defiled, that wasn't diseased. You were to find the purest, the best animal to present to God as your demonstration of love. 
Not only was it for the forgiveness of sins, not only was it out of gratitude, but picking your best animal meant that you were demonstrating to God that you truly loved him. And when we come to Malachi, recognize that Malachi is written about 400 to 450 years before the birth of Christ. And here in the book of Malachi, the people of Israel have have just gotten back from exile in Babylon. They've been back for a number of decades. They've been back in the land, and this is about the time that Nehemiah rebuilds the the wall of Jerusalem. It's, It's now built by the time that Malachi is written. The temple has been rebuilt, and worship in the land of God has resumed. And on the outside, the people are flourishing. Good things are happening on the outside. But on the inside, there is a cancer eating away at the hearts of the people. A cancer of complacency is eating away at the hearts of the people of God. The people of God are indifferent towards God. And so Malachi comes on the scene to give the people of God a message and to give us a message here this morning. Malachi comes on the scene to give the people a message, to tell the people that if you truly love God, you will give God your best. Now before I begin reading Malachi, I want to share something with you. Sometimes when God wants to teach us something, sometimes when God wants us to learn something, sometimes when God wants us to mature, when God wants us to grow, sometimes he uses a carrot. And sometimes he uses a stick. Now you know what I mean. Sometimes God uses great positive encouragement to help us to grow to help us to mature, but other times, God uses a stick. He uses stiff measures that may seem negative to us. Malachi? Malachi is a stick. Now, you kind of know me, and you probably know that I like carrots more than I like sticks. I like positive encouragement more than I like stiff measures. I like carrots, and I like to preach carrots. But this morning, God has a stick for us. So I want to warn you. I also want to tell you that the stick is not just for you. It's for me as well. So God is not using me to preach to you. God is using this text in his words to speak to each one of us here this morning. And I will tell you, this past week, God spoke. Am I going to come on again? I'm off. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? I don't want to confess this. Oh, there we go. I don't want to confess this anyway. This past week, God spoke to me. So there were things that I had to address in my life, and there were sins that I needed to confess to God.
So as we go through this, remember, it's a stick. But we're all in this together. And this is God speaking to all of us. So Malachi chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 6, and this is God speaking. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests who show contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you stiff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And God doesn't stop there. It's not just the priests offering the sacrifices of the people that God has called out. He calls out the people as well. Jump over to Malachi chapter 3. Look at verse 8 and 9. Look at these verses. This is God speaking again. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Do you understand what's going on here in Malachi? God is angry, he is unappreciated, and he is hurt. He sees that his mercy and his grace to his people has been taken for granted. These people who he has cared for, who he has watched over, who he has provided for, are taking him for granted. God feels the sting of the realization that his people are more concerned with temporary economic gain than they are with the eternal relationship that they have with God. His people's actions are clearly not demonstrating that they love God because they are not giving to God their very best. They are robbing from the Lord Almighty. I told you, this was a stick. It's clearly not a carrot. But I think that this is important for us this morning. This is important for Calvary Church. Now, I think that Calvary Church is a great place. But this is a warning. I think that Calvary Church is a great place. It is a great church which makes you great people. But we are in this passage this morning for a reason. This passage was picked months ago for this very day. 
We are here because God wants us to be in this passage, and he wants us to hear the message that he has for each one of us individually and for us corporately as Calvary Church. Now, I know that there are some of you who are giving your best to God. You are giving your best in time. You are giving your best in effort. You are giving your best monetarily. But I also know that you are, there are some of you who are not. You are not giving your best time to God. You are not giving your best effort to God. And you are not giving your best monetarily to God. God has a message for us here this morning. And if we are not giving our best, it means that the cancer of complacency is eating away at our hearts. And we are therefore then demonstrating indifference towards God. God wants us to demonstrate our love for him by giving to him our very best. So how do we do that? How do we give God our very best? Well, I have three instructions, three things for us this morning that will help us to give God our very best. The first way that we give God our best, the first way that we give God our best is to remember God's love for us. Number one, Remember God's love for you. You see, one of the dangers in reading these verses in Malachi is to think that God is just some ogre in the sky who wants to take away all of your fun. To think he's some old guy up in the sky who is demanding all of your stuff and requiring you to love him. No, that is not the case. God loves you. The maker and creator of the entire universe loves you, and he loved you first. Look what the book of Malachi says at the beginning. Look what it says right from the start. It begins with a proclamation of God's love for his people. Look at verse 2. Look at what chapter 1, verse 2 says. It says, I have loved you. This is the first thing that God says to his people. This is the first thing that he says to us here this morning. I love you. He then goes on to say, look at all the things that I've done for you. Look at the history. Look at our history together. Look at how I have answered your prayers. Look at how I have provided. Look at how I have protected you. Look at how I have watched over you. And he says the same thing to us this morning. Think about God's provision for Calvary Church for decades. He has taken care of Calvary Church. And he has taken care of you. He has answered your prayers. He has protected you. He has provided for you. He has watched over you. It is because he has chosen you. God loves you. And when we understand that God isn't some angry old guy up in the sky, when we understand that he truly loves each one of us, when we come to these most difficult words in Malachi, we can come to the understanding that God means the best for us, that he loves us, and we can come to the point of wanting to give our best to God. Number one. Remember God's love 
for you. Number two, if you remember God's love for you, you will want to give him your best by giving him priority over your possessions. God deserves priority over your possessions. These people here in Israel were more concerned in keeping what they had than in giving to God what he deserved. They were more concerned with keeping their, their, what they had, their animals, their flocks, than in giving to God a demonstration of their love. Israel was instructed, give the best of your flocks, the lamb without blemish, the lamb without defect, give this to God. And this isn't easy. These animals were the best animals. They were the most costly animals. They were the animals that the people used to breed with. But God says, if you love me, you are going to give me your best. Likewise, if we want to show God that we love him, we have to give him our best. We have to give him priority over our possessions. And the way we do that is by giving him our possessions. Three weeks ago in the sermon, Jim said this. Jim said, God's love language is sacrifice. What is the essence of sacrifice? It is costly. Costing our time, our effort, and our money. What are your possessions? You possess time, effort, and money. And if you want to demonstrate your love for God, being a living sacrifice means you are going to give to God the best of your time, the best of your effort, and you are going to give God the best monetarily speaking. This is what we have to give to God, our possessions. Now let's think about this for a minute, our time. I have a calendar, and in that calendar it records the things that I do every day of the week. During the week, it records my activities. On a monthly basis, it, puts the, it identifies what I'm going to be doing. And for the year, it identifies things like vacations and commitments that I have out one, two, three, four months. And in my calendar, my calendar demonstrates how I am using my time. If you were to look at my calendar... If I were to look at your calendar, would your calendar reflect that you are giving God your time? Would your calendar reflect that you are giving God the best of your time? Would your calendar reflect that you are committed to making disciples, that you are committed to a church, that you are committed to the things that God is committed? Would your calendar reflect these things? Would your calendar reflect that you are giving any time at all to God? Second, effort. You possess your effort. Are you giving your best effort to God? Now, time and effort are closely linked, but there is a distinction between time and effort. Effort is the concept or the idea of, of expressing great passion for something. I am giving my best effort. I am passionate about something. Are you passionate about what God is passionate about? 
Are you passionate about the things that he is passionate about? Are you passionate about the church? Are you passionate about serving him? Are you passionate about making disciples? Are you passionate about the poor, the weak, the disenfranchised? Are you passionate about human life? You see, I say that time and effort are closely linked because the things that we are most passionate about are the things that we typically spend the most time on. Are you passionate about the things of God or are you just passionate about acquiring wealth, acquiring things, and maximizing your time of leisure? Are you passionate? Are you giving your best effort to the things that God is passionate about? Third, Are you giving your best when it comes to the money that God has blessed you with? Are you giving to God generously? Now, this is the one that kicks us in the gut. This is the one that is very difficult for me to talk about. It's probably difficult for you to listen to. So this past week, I struggled with how do you present this? How do you help people understand And so I decided that I was going to address it corporately. I'm addressing it corporately because we are all on this journey together. But when addressing it corporately, it means that each one of you will have to go back and address it individually between you and God. So I did some calculations this past week. I did three calculations, and I'd like to share them with you. In Calvary Church, there are 2,600 giving units. 2,600 giving units at Calvary Church. A giving unit can be a family, it can be a single person, or it can be a couple. That's a giving unit, and there are approximately 2,600. There are actually more than 2,600, but for conservative uh, calculations, 2,600 giving units at Calvary Church. The first calculation I did had to do with home values. So I took the 2,600 giving units and I thought to myself, well, not everybody at Calvary Church owns a home, so let's just assume that 2,000 giving units own a home. And if you take 2,000 giving units and you multiply that by $158,000, which is the median home price in Grand Rapids, according to Zillow, if you do that multiplication, you come up with $316 million in home values represented in Calvary Church. $316 million in home values. Second calculation, I took that 2,600 giving units and I multiplied it by $61,000 in medium family income in Kent County. That was 2,010 figures from the census. And I did the math and I came up with 158,000, excuse me, $158 million in annual income represented in Calvary Church. $158 million. And then the third and final calculation is I took 2,600 giving units, multiplied it by 1.5 cars per giving unit, valued the cars at $10,000 per car, and came up with $39 million in automobiles represented at Calvary Church. 
$316 million in home values, $158 million in annual income, and $39 million in car values. I learned something this past week. Based upon these numbers, Grace Beyond is not such a big project. <laughs> An $8 million annual budget is not such a big budget. And the fact that we're behind on giving after five or six weeks into the year is a problem. Are we giving God our best? I address this corporately because, as I said, we are in this together. It's now your responsibility and my responsibility to go home and address this individually. Giving God our best means remembering God's love for us it means giving him priority over our possessions. And thirdly, it means recognizing God's greatness. Recognizing God's greatness. Look at verse 10 of chapter 1. It should cause us to sit up a little straighter in our chairs. God would much rather have us shut down the church than to come to him with pathetic leftovers. Amen. Look at verse 10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. How would you feel today if when you came, the doors were shut, and it was locked up tight. God is great, and God is serious. Just read the book of Malachi. Just read it just once, and you clearly get the idea that God is serious. He is not fooling around. In these nine verses of chapter one that I read to you earlier, seven times in those chapters, God refers to himself as the Lord Almighty. 23 times in the book of Malachi, God refers to himself as the Lord Almighty. God deserves our best because he is great. He is set apart. He is holy. He is God. I want to think a minute about that title, Lord Almighty. Lord here is the name for God. It is the translation of his name, I am. It's a name that was too holy, too set apart for the Jewish people to even speak. In fact, they would not even pronounce their, the name except for one time every year on the Day of Atonement, and that was only by the priest and only in the most holy place of the temple. They would not even utter the name because he was so great. 
The term almighty refers to hosts. It's the idea of angelic armies, of, of a multitude of angelic armies who can do the bidding of an infinite God who completely controls all of the universe. He is almighty and he can do whatever he chooses whenever he wants to do it. And 23 times in this book he says, I am the Lord almighty and I am great. And I am serious about what I am sharing with you this morning because God is serious about what he is saying to us out of his word. He is making a point here. He is great and he will be taken seriously. Look at verse six of chapter one. We read that the priests and the people were showing contempt for God, which means they no longer thought of him as great. They no longer thought of him as the Lord Almighty. They did not take him seriously. And there was a consequence to not taking him seriously. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And now... You priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. And then again, back to chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? in tithes and offerings. And then look what God says in verse nine. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Do you think God is serious? They did not give him their best. They're just going through the motions like we sometimes do when we allow the extraordinary to become ordinary and the result, the consequence of doing that is a curse. If we want to give God our best, we must recognize his greatness. We must stop going through the motions and refuse to just play church. Listen to these verses. Look at, listen to verse 11 from chapter one. My name will be great among the nations. From the rising to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. Jump down to verse 14. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Do you catch what he's saying here? Every time that God mentions sacrifices, he follows it with the phrase, I will be great or I will be feared. Sacrifice is directly linked to the greatness of God. That's why when we give him our best, we are grasping his greatness because we are giving our best to the one who is greater than us. God is great. And conversely, when we fail to offer him our best or when we give him little or nothing, we are really saying that God just doesn't really matter that much to us at all. God is God, and he is great. And because of that greatness, he demands our very best. 
To give God our best means to remember God's love for you. It means to give him priority over your possessions, and it means to recognize that he is great. I know. I know this is a stick. But I want to leave you. I want to leave you with a carrot. So if you would, look at Malachi 3. Verses 10 through 12. Here's the carrot. And it is good news. Verse 10, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. He's saying, give me your best. Give me your best time. Give me your best effort. Give me your best monetarily. Bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God wants nothing more than to open the floodgates of heaven and bless Calvary Church. God wants nothing more than to open the floodgates of heaven and bless you individually. But what he wants is he wants our true, utter, and complete love. And the way we demonstrate that, the way we offer ourselves as living sacrifices is by giving God our best. And when we do, he opens up the floodgates of heaven. He says, test me in this. Try me in this. I will provide. I will watch over you. I will protect you. I will bless you. Try him. Try him in this and see if he doesn't open up the floodgates of heaven for you. Now, at the beginning of this week, I would have told you that that is the best reason to give God our best. Because if I give God my best, if you give God your best, he is going to open up the floodgates of heaven. It's a good reason. It's a legitimate reason. It's not the best reason. The best reason to give God your best is because you love Him. You just love Him. You know why I never want to see that look on Jen's face again? Because I love her. I just love her. Not because of anything she can do for me. I just love her. Give God your best. Because... You just love him.